Great job. Cool song. Cool song. Hey, would you guys turn to your neighbor? Just say hello this morning. Make sure you get their name. We're glad to have you here today. Rising 
our story and that we're linked to their story through what Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child makes a reality. 
The church can sometimes think that it's all about what I'm doing inside my walls. And so part of what this allows us to do is connect in the larger church. We are opening doors for other churches and other parts of the world to do ministry in their local community. The shoebox opens a door. It's more than a box. It's church planting. It's community transformation. Beyond the shoeboxes, the greatest journey disciples them and nurtures them. One church can only do so much, but the church sharing a common vision allow for us to connect across the nations to reach people that no one church could ever reach by themselves. There's a real story on the other end of that box, and so why wouldn't you want to be a part of a story like this? To be a part of Operation Christmas Child this year. This is Dan, as he has the boxes here this morning. Um, you can take one of these boxes and fill it with things that these children really need. There's a list inside of each box to tell you what you can put in. You can choose a boy, you can choose a girl, and you can choose an age limit. But I'll tell you, this is an awesome opportunity for us to be able to give to those around the world because we know that America is the greatest country to be living in, and there are many, many that do not have the benefits that we have here. And so it's our chance to give. And so we want you to pick one up. I think we have 700 boxes that we're giving away and we are doing a great job, but we want to get rid of all of them. So the instructions are in the inside. Please make sure you take a box with you today. You can make a difference in the lives of a child around the world for sure. Okay. We're glad to have you here today. We really are. We want you to take the friendship folder that is in the pew or the seat. It's in the black folder. Would you sign that for us, please? Um, let us know that you're here. And also if you're a first time visitor, we uh, welcome you. We would like you to stop at the welcome center to pick up a gift that we have for you. Also, if you have any questions or anything about the church, that's the place that you want to kind of start and point it in the right direction. So thanks for being here today. This coming Wednesday is trunk and treat. And what that means is, is that we need you. We need you to decorate the trunk of your car. We need you to decorate yourself for Halloween, dress up and pass out candy to our community. Last year, I think we had around 400 and some children and it is a fun time to come up here on the church hill and introduce them to, um, to who we are and just the love of Jesus Christ through passing out candy to these children. And so if you want to decorate a car, there's still time. Please stop at the welcome center, but it is an awesome time to come up and just make a difference in the lives of our children in our community. Also, right after this service today, there's a brief Ecuador meeting. We are going back to Ecuador. And if you haven't been there, you need to go. It is an awesome time of going to another country. We know the Word of Life family down there, Daniel and Ana Gonzalez. They welcome us each and every time with open arms. And again, it's an experience that you wouldn't forget in being able to um, go down there and make the difference in the lives of the Ecuador people. It is a different country, obviously, and they don't have the benefits and the things that we have. And um, it is just a neat time of, of really growing for you guys and also giving back to someone there. Uh, the meeting is after this service, 11 o'clock. It's just a short informational meeting, but we're going to be planning on taking that trip in June. So we want you to come and check it out. Oh, it's downstairs in the canopy room this morning if you're wondering where it's at. If we see you wandering the halls, we will grab you. Thank you, Rhonda. 
You know, going to Ecuador is an awesome experience. I went on our last trip, and it's just so exciting to see the teenagers in our church, the families, the kids, everybody working together as a team uh, to go out into an environment like that and, uh, and minister Christ and see so many people come to Christ. It's amazing what God does on a mission trip. Every Christmas, we publish this list. Uh, we call it our birthday gift to Jesus list. And we asked you, our congregation, to pray over this list. Uh, pick up this list once a day and, and follow down this list and pray for every single one of these missionary and missionary projects. Uh, these are real people. They've all been vetted. They're, they're for real. They're good people. They're out there trying to serve the Lord. And uh, through the years, we've tried to encourage them at Christmas time. Uh, the first time we produced a little list like this, we raised... $386. That was our first Christmas offering. We really didn't even have a person to send it to. And so we read in a magazine there was a missionary in Mexico that had a car accident. And we thought, well, we better send that money to that person. And we started a relationship with Harold and Connie de Vilbas in Mexico City that's lasted over 40 years. And we've been supporting them ever since. Um, Daniel Gonzalez, you just saw his picture up there. Uh, they are such a wonderful host for us when we go to Ecuador. A couple years ago, a church called Daniel uh, and said that they had to drop their missionary support. And this was a big church. And I think they were supporting Daniel Gonzalez at about $5,000 a year. That's an awful lot from a single church for, for a missionary. They said, we're going to have to stop circumstances in the church. I don't know what happened but we can't support Daniel any longer. And it was at that time, we put on our birthday gift to Jesus list, Daniel Gonzalez for $5,000. And he didn't know about it. And we told him, relax, Daniel, relax, we got you covered. And so that's how the Lord works. You know, uh, churches don't always have the same resources every year, but God has the resources somewhere to make up. And so Daniel was so excited that our church, Crossroads Ministries, right here, made up the difference. You pray about your part. Give more to Jesus this Christmas than you've ever given before. Put him at the top of your Christmas list. Give by faith. And thank God you're able to be on the giving end because it's always more blessed to give than it is to receive. So that's our goal. We're going to begin this offering the second Sunday of November. So kind of post this at home. Put it in your prayer materials. Let's really work, work at it together, okay? Let's stand together, please. Our ushers are going to come right now and receive our morning offering. And as we always do, we thank you every Sunday for supporting the church. Some people send their gifts in through the mail. Others uh, uh, do it on PayPal, uh, through the Internet. Uh, Many of our people bring their gifts right here into the auditorium. No matter how you give, we thank God for you because you're the ones that really supply the needs that enables us to reach out into our community and to the world with the gospel of Christ. But if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have anything, would we? We have an opportunity now to thank him. Let's do that. Dear Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given us strength and energy this week to go to work and earn a living for our family. We uh, come now to uh, provide a living for your church family up here on the hill. 
We thank you so much for our faithful people who give uh, in every season uh, for your work around the world. And we pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Prayer is the way we talk to God. Prayer is openness. Prayer is freedom. Prayer is for the brokenhearted. Prayer is for the sick. Prayer is for the hungry. Prayer is for the children. Prayer is for the old. Prayer is for the joyful. Prayer is free. Prayer is God's gift to us. Accept it, use it, and believe it. Prayer works. Amen. Hope you have enjoyed our series on prayer as Pastor John has been sharing his heart with us on prayer. And um, we'd like to continue this morning by talking about how do we address our God. And as we've been talking the the past few weeks about prayer and uh, organizing our prayer life and getting serious about our prayer life, all I could think of is how does a little feeble human like me come in to talk to the God of the universe? Okay, here's this God of the universe, this great God. How is it that I get to come in and talk to Him? How How do you address Him? Uh, You know, if you were coming before uh, any important individual, and if you have your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be heading there in just a few moments. But uh, if you were to talk to any important individual, you would want to know, how do I address them? And so this is the most important being of all the world, the most important. This is God. And how do I get to address Him? One day, the, the disciples saw Jesus praying, and they asked Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? Now, you know, if you look at all the things that Jesus did, all the, all the miracles that he did, the, the thing that the disciples, the only thing that they asked them to teach them was to teach us how to pray. Now, I probably would have been the disciple that says, could you, could you teach me how to do that loaf and, and bread thing with, you know, where you feed 5,000 people? Or, or how about the, uh, the water into wine? Could you teach me how to do that? Or the leprosy thing? Could you teach me how to, how to get rid of leprosy off of people? And I'd go for probably more of the sensational things, Right? But no, the disciples, the only thing they ever asked him to do was to teach us how to pray. And they saw how that Jesus prayed. And what is interesting about that is that not only uh, did they ask for them to be taught how to pray, but these people prayed. Uh, they, these, were Jewish, these were Jewish guys. They grew up in the Jewish culture. They understood something about prayer. They, they, you look at the Old Testament prayers, they had, had certainly prayed some of those Old Testament prayers. And now they're coming and they've been watching Jesus. They see how Jesus prays and they said, there's just something different. There's something different. So Jesus, teach us how to pray. I don't think we're doing it right. I don't think we've quite got this. So Jesus, would you teach us how to pray like you pray? Think about this. If you were out to lunch with somebody and you prayed over the meal and uh, over your meal and uh, you asked at, at, at the end, your friend looks at you and says, now let me give you a few pointers on that prayer. All right, you didn't say this right. Maybe you could say this right. You'd be like, whoa, right? But that's not what was happening here. The disciples were coming. They said, this isn't, there's something, this isn't a mechanical thing. There's something about how Jesus prays. It's just not how we pray. And we need to learn this. We need to learn what, he is, what he's teaching us here. Often we say that prayer is just talking to God. And in the simplest of terms, it really is. It is just talking to God. But yet, if it's just talking to God, why don't we? Why do we struggle with this area of prayer so much? And maybe it is that we need to learn how to pray. And Jesus himself taught his disciples how to pray. 
So in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, we're going to see how that Jesus begins to teach his disciples how to pray. Um, he, he, here he's teaching not only his disciples, but anybody who's willing to learn, and that includes you and I today. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Here in this culture, they had a, there, was, there was a group of people, the, the, uh, the Jews would like to go out and pray on the street corners. In the synagogues, they would pray loud prayers, long prayers. And some would go out on the street corners and, oh, Lord, we need you, Lord, and pray these long, loud prayers out. And you know what? They would be praying and they would be making a scene. Uh, they would be babbling, they'd be praying, they'd be making just a lot of loud noise. And look what Jesus says as he continues here. He tells them, he says, do not pray like that because assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. They have received their reward. And so the reason for their prayer was that they were praying to be seen by men. They were, pray, they were praying so that they could have the affirmation of men. So that people would say, look, there are the spiritual people. Look at the spiritual ones out there. Look at these men out there. And so they had their reward. Now, Jesus wasn't teaching against public prayer. Public prayer was totally permissible under the Old Testament. It was in quite often, uh, public prayers were quite often offered. Jesus himself prayed in public. He was talking about insincere prayers. prayers uh, he says the prayer of the hypocrite. A hypocrite is one who is inconsistent, one that... That, that doesn't, if he's praying out there, he's not praying in, in quiet. Look here, he states here that they've received the word, their reward already. Uh, verse 6, now, now just take that though. He says they received the reward already. He's already planted a seed that there's a reward for prayer. There's a reward for prayer. Verse 6, but when you pray, now notice he says when you pray, this is the second time he's going to say when you pray three times here. When you pray, He's assuming that you pray. And when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut the, have shut the door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus draws a contrast here. The contrast is from the man who's praying outwardly, and he gets his reward of affirmation. He tells you, he tells me to go in to the secret place. Get out of the public place. Go into the quiet place. You need to be alone. You need to be where no one else can see you. You need to be isolated from the world around you. And you need to pray to the unseen Father. And as we do this, there's something special that happens. The unseen Father sees you. Get alone. Get without the things that distract you. You know, one of the greatest distractions I think that I have is this wonderful smartphone. Do you have one of these? Maybe a not-so-smartphone? Uh, you know, people can get a hold of us night and day. I can sit here and I can scroll through everybody's business, you know, on Facebook, I mean Facebook, and, uh, and I can look on there and I can see all the things you want me to see about you. I can see everything on there, right? I can go on Instagram, I can go on Twitter, I can go on all these things, Snapchat, and you see all these things that people are portraying something to me, and then my texts go off. We go to have a meeting, this thing goes off. It's amazing. You have to have, when you have a meeting, you have to say, please silence your cell phones. Please don't even look at them. 
within 10 minutes, all of a sudden we get buzz and beeps all over the place. We're, we're in a world where we're, we're always accessible to everybody. But when you go to meet with God, put this down. And whatever it is that is your distraction, put it down. Walk away from it. And get into the secret place. Get alone where it's you and God. And when we do that, there's something special that happens. You're getting to the presence of an almighty God. And he says that Jesus himself says that the unseen God sees you. He knows your name and you get to be into his presence. Now, when we start to think about that, that tomorrow morning, that later this afternoon, I can walk into his presence, I can put these distractions down, and the God of the universe sees little Ken Barner down there. And he knows exactly what's going on. And, and look, his, the second half of the verse, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's the reward for prayer. The father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Now, I want you to slow down a little bit. You're thinking reward. You're thinking, I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get that relationship. My bills are going to be paid, right? That's not the reward. That reward is pretty small. If that's the only reward to praying, that's really a small reward, that you get the things that you want. That is really small. God has so much more to give us, and it's, him, it's himself. It's his character. And now here's a principle that we often overlook. If we could just have an understanding that when we get alone, when you go into that quiet place and you are alone with God, pastor doesn't see you. Your Sunday school teacher doesn't see you. Nobody thinks you're spiritual because they don't see you. My kids don't see me. Guess who sees me? God sees me. And God knows my name. And God says, I am ready. You've come to me. You've humbled yourself. You've gotten in quiet. And you're alone. And you're talking to me. When you pray in secret, when you stop seeking the praise of man, you pray to the unseen God, and he is the one who rewards you. And remember what... What that means, he is going to give us what we, not what we want, not necessarily what we ask for, but what is good from his plan, from his perspective. And, and we have to keep coming back to this because God has a plan for your life. I don't go to God with my plan and say, God, here's my plan for my, for my life. I think you ought to bless it. God wants us to get involved in his plan. He's the one who has the plan. And so when we're coming before him, we are, we're coming into his plan. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not pray. When you pray, don't be like those people who just babble and go on and on, and they have vain repetitions. Uh, other, other renderings use the word babbling. In other words, blah, blah, blah. Don't just come in before the Lord. There was a, there was a, a mentality. Uh, one of the rabbis, Rabbi Levi, said, whoever is long in prayer is heard. And so among the Jewish, they, understood, they, they had this misconception. They said, if we pray longer, God will hear us. And that's kind of, the, kind of a normal thing that we would think. And at one point in my life, I thought, you know, the more we pastor God, the more we get in front of him, the more he's going to bend his will our way, Right? No, the more I get in front of God, the more he bends my will towards his way. And that's a major difference. Um, 
You don't want to be like the person who's going and babbling. Other people would go through, the pagans, the pagans would go through and they would just babble and they would have all their little rituals that they would do and they would just go on and on. And if the more I could get, the longer I could get, the louder I could get, the more I would gain God's attention. And he says, don't pray like that. Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Now, I want you to think about that. God knows what you need before you come to him. And that is so comforting. Before you come to him, I don't have to say, oh, God, you know I need a car. Oh, God, you know I need a car. Oh, God, I'm sick. And you know I'm sick. God already knows I'm sick. God already knows the problems that I have, right? When you come into his presence, God wants you to come and be in confident assurance that he's God. And that's what happens. See, when we go into the secret place, I get to unload my soul before him. And I don't have to pray and think that, oh, the more if I just keep telling God over and over and over that he'll finally get tired of me and give me what I want. That's not, what, that's, not what, that's not the concept here. And he says it clear because don't be like vain repetitions. Just don't go through some ritual. Uh, be, be like the person who comes in and meets before God. And he tells you, and therefore in this manner, in this manner, this is how you ought to pray. So, and uh, let's just read from the screen here, verse 9. This is what is known as the Lord's Prayer. We could really call this the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. <clears throat> so let's read this together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there are many churches that, that will pray that prayer every Sunday. They'll read that prayer every Sunday. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But that's not what God was driving at here. Jesus wasn't driving that here's some prayer, and if you'll just chant this every day, that this is the magic prayer. He's giving us a model prayer, and he's given us some, some key elements here. So this morning, I'd like to look at just a little bit, just the beginning of the, of the elements here. He starts with an all-important word here. He says, Our Father in heaven. And if we look at that, we see our Father. We understand what a Father is on, on earth. And the best earthly Father doesn't compare to our Heavenly Father. But this is the God in heaven, and we get to call Him Father. Um, my heart goes out to those that have had an abusive Father. The hard time, maybe you have a hard time relating to God with that term Father. And let me just say that God is the ultimate Father. He is the dad you never had. I have tried to be the best dad that I can be. And my kids will tell you my weaknesses. They will tell you my flaws because I am a human dad. And I may be 90% good dad, but I got 10%. They're, they're wishing I would change. And, uh, but God is the father that has everything. He's the provider. And, and there, this is a term of endearment. And when Jesus came and, and said here that, that you can call him Father. When he said, pray like this, our Father, do you realize that was the first time 
the prayer was ever directed to God as Father. If you look through the, old, uh, the whole Old Testament, you won't find prayers directed towards our Father. It says to the Lord, to God, to Yahweh. And, and now there, Jesus says, you get to call him Father. Jesus called him Father. If you're a child of God, you get to call him Father. If you've accepted him, you've, you've, you've started a relationship with Christ, you've accepted his sacrifice on the cross, he's forgiven your sin, you now have this relationship with God. It's an intimate relationship. It's a close relationship. It is Father. But yet he is the Father in heaven. He is your Father in heaven. So he is all-powerful, but yet he is Father. He has the love. He has the, the concern, the compassion of a Father that you're looking for in Father. But yet he is in heaven. He is the Almighty God of the universe. He has all the power. He has all the holiness. He has all the justice. And he has everything. So the pendulum goes from our Father in heaven. And so when we, when we come before him and pray we have this awesome privilege that we get to call him our Father. Um, there, this denotes a relationship, and prayer is the privilege of God's children. Prayer is the privilege of God's children. This is your privilege. It is not a, a hassle. It is not something that, oh, can I do this? It is a privilege if we could just see that, that I have this privilege to come into the quiet place, to the unseen place, and adore him and worship Him, and meet with Him, and have a communion with the God of the universe. You're, like I said, your dad on earth doesn't, doesn't compare to this. So what do we have to do? We have to step that aside. We have to say, okay, here's my earthly dad. I don't understand these things. And I have to come before God and say, God, you are the ultimate dad. And when I thought that I was all alone, you were the one who was really loving me. You were there even when my dad was there, when my mom wasn't there, when my parents weren't there, when all these things weren't happening on earth. God, you were there and you're sovereign and you love me and you care about me. Our Father in heaven. And then the next part, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Our top priority, this is the first point in your notes there, our top priority is hallowed be your name. Our top priority to, to, to God is to hallow his name. And when you think about that, what does that mean to hallow something? Uh, we don't often think of hallowing something. That's kind of an older English term, isn't it? Uh, how do I hallow something? Well, to hallow something is to make it sacred or to make it the ultimate, to make it big, make it holy, to make it set apart. Some renderings use the word, make your name holy. In other words, he is the ultimate. He is so high above us. And he is the God of the universe, yet we get to call him Father. But if I don't make him ultimate in my life, I'll make something else ultimate. Hallow, ultimate. He's number one. There's only, there's only one could be number one. And when we look at our life, we look at all the things that we're dealing with, so many times we tend to come along, we tend to worship other things. We tend to, to bow down before things that that are not worthy of us bowing down to. What you adore in the secret place is what you adore the most. What you adore in the secret place is what you adore the most. Remember, he says, don't be like the guy praying out on a street corner, but be like, this is how I want you to be. Go and be quiet. Don't be babbling. Go into the secret place and meet with me. Come into my presence. 
Don't be like the hypocrite. Those people who pray and don't pray in private, it's not real. Those people who only pray whenever something's going wrong, he's saying go deeper than that. Go deeper than that. Don't be like the hypocrite. Now, it's easy for us to fall in the same trap because it's so easy for us to just run back to God whenever something goes bad. Have you ever noticed that in our life? When something goes bad in our life, where's the first place that we turn? We turn to God. We come to prayer. We start reading our Bible more. I'm going to pray more. It's just a natural thing. Uh, You look in the the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they went through this cycle over and over. uh, God would bless them and they would get relaxed. And then God would have to bring some... Some, some tough times upon them and it would get their attention and bring them back to him and, and then they would pray again. And then that would go in a cycle. And our lives, we kind of go in a little bit of that cycle as well. But here, what you adore in the secret place is what you adore the most. Think about the thing that you have in that secret place that you adore. What is it that you are adoring in the secret place? When you get all alone, when it's all quiet, what is, what is on your mind the most? Is it God? Or is it, maybe I won't get that promotion at work? Is it God or this troubled relationship? Is it God or my finances? And what is it that, that is troubling us the most in our secret place instead of God? Because what happens, we run, we can put health crisis there, family crisis, financial crisis. We can put any type of thing in there, but yet that is the place where God wants He wants our heart. He wants to have us in that quiet place where he knows our name and you're communing with him. Um, The only thing I can look at in life and I see that happens to us all the time is that our minds keep straying away. We have to come back and reset this over and over and over. Every day we have to reset, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name. God, you are the ultimate. God, I'm making you the ultimate today. Not my job, not the troubles, not the stress, not all these things that I've given my affections to, all these things that are so temporary over here that, God, I was kind of worshiping. I didn't even realize I was worshiping. I was, I was giving all my energies over here and no energies to you, the ultimate. God, I'm coming back and I'm calling you Father. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are number one in my life today and put him back on there. We have a struggle with this, our struggle to view God for who he is, not the things that we want. We have to come and view him for who he is. He is God. When things go bad, indeed, we come running back to God, and God uses all those times in our lives. But let's be people that are meeting with God, adoring him. Um, If the thing you adore is not God, then you will only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. If the thing that you adore is not God, then you will only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. If I'm thinking about, oh, I'm going to lose this relationship, or I'm going to lose this job, or I'm going to lose this house, all these things of loss, if that is only the thing on my mind, then I will only come to God when that is in jeopardy of being taken away. Hallowing the name of the Lord is to make him the ultimate, put him at the highest. And I believe that takes a learning process. We have to learn how to pray. S.D. Gordon said this, The thought that prayer is getting things from God, chiefly, that is so small, so pitiably small, and yet so common. The true conception understands that prayer is partnership with God and his planet-sized purposes. 
God has a purpose that is so much bigger than what we can imagine, what we can think. Ephesians 3.20, God is, is, is doing abundantly, exceedingly more than what we could ask or think. And yet, whenever I come to God, if I can just trust, okay, if He's sovereign, if He is the God of the universe, then what just happened is okay, even though it's not what I wanted to happen. Even my past, I can deal with all these things because of who He is, because He's God. He's in charge. And when I come and I put, the, I put God in charge, now I can filter the rest of my life. I begin to look at the rest of my life differently. When we adore His name, we have a reason for life. That's another point in your notes this morning. When we adore His name, we have a reason for life. We have a, a, a reason to live. Have you noticed lately that as you're, as you're watching on TV, you see all these people that are famous, that are powerful, that have money, uh, all, the, all these big, big-time, incredible stars? Have you noticed we hear a lot of overdosing of these guys? Have you, have you noticed that there was one just recently? It was a pretty, pretty tough thing going on. The guy did some really stupid things, and he's overdosed. And it's like, man, the guy had everything. I'm sitting there. I've got my family. I'm, I saw this come up on the news. I said, can you believe that? He had everything, and he had to go out and do dumb. He had to go out, and he's wasting his life. Why? Because he has no purpose. And you don't get a purpose from money. You don't get a purpose from fame. You don't get a purpose from power. You get a purpose from adoring from adoring God. You see, these folks are worshiping things that don't matter. They're worshiping fame, money, power. Those things don't meet the need of the human heart. Only God himself can meet the need of the human heart. And so when we come in, we worship God. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's Father hallowed be your name. You're the ultimate. You're the number one. Everything in my life comes through you today, God. Now my life has a different meaning. Now I don't have to go out and overdose. Now I don't have to go out and do all these things to make my life shorter and deal with the pain. I get to come before God and say, okay, God, you've given me meaning. You've given me purpose. This is what God wants us to do because when we, fo- when we come before him, he gives us the meaning. And that's why S.D. Gordon said, it's a lifelong journey. Learn how to pray. It's not natural. We don't naturally come in and know how to pray. You know, when, that, when you take a little, little two-year-old kid and you go over to the outlet on the wall and you tell him, no, don't touch this, what happens within the next hour? A little kid walks right over and has to touch it, right? You don't have to teach them to disobey. They go right over there, you know? No, don't ever touch us. You turn your back, they're over there. It's almost like don't even tell them it's there, you know? But when you tell them no, they understand how to violate no. Children aren't naturally inclined to come and pray. We're not naturally inclined to come and pray. We're not naturally inclined to come and say, God, you've got this all under control. Our natural inclination is to come and say, well, I think I'll fix this. And here's a problem in my life, so I'm going to work, 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 work and fix it without divine intervention without coming and understanding God's character and seeing God's perspective. And so if we could only look through the lens of God, imagine what God has looked at your life. And you see things that have happened in your life that are up and down and all over the map, and he's looking, he says, yeah, I understand. I closed the door over here so that this other door would open. And maybe I closed the door in your life so that a door would open in somebody else's life. God has some big, big plans that we are not aware of. 
And so therefore, when we come and we trust him, he is the ultimate. And I place him at that position of honor. Because God is good, I can trust him. Because he is sovereign, I can trust him. Because he is my provider, I can trust him. In whatever he says, I will be able to make it because of who he is. Um, you know, sometimes God answers prayer, yes. And we love to celebrate that, right? And so when, when God, because of who he is, because of his character, when he says yes, it's good. And we love to celebrate that. But whenever he says no, it's good because of who he is. And whenever he says wait, it's good because of who he is. We, we don't really like to wait, do we? We're the American society. We like to, like to put, your, you know, put your coffee in there and hit that button. You've got a minute, you know. Uh, for the real coffee drinkers, you put it through your Keurig, right? And now we have coffee fast, real coffee fast. And, uh, and, uh, and, and everything's instant. Sometimes God says, wait and wait and wait and wait some more because I am doing a work that you're not aware of. And sometimes he says, my grace is is sufficient. And when God says, my grace is sufficient, it's good. When he says, yes, it's good. When he says, no, it's good. When he says, wait, it's good. Whatever his answer is good because of who he is. If you were to flip over to Psalm 103, just as we, as we wrap up here, Psalm 103 shares uh, just an incredible adoration, shares an incredible moment of the psalmist taking up to, to God and making his name ultimate. He was hallowing the name of the Lord here. And look here at Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's more than just a good song. It is the man's desire. He's, he's telling the Lord, every cell within my body, bless your holy name because you are God. Let your life be consumed with God. That's what he was saying. He said, I want to be consumed with you, Lord. Everything within me. God, consume me. That's hallowing his name. Uh, you know, when you think of a family that has a new baby, you know, um, you have that new baby, everybody in that family is consumed. I'll never forget when we brought home our new babies, our new <laughs> babies that are now 20 years old, right? Almost 20. Next year she'll be 20. I, I'll never forget when we brought home Crease and we brought home Kara. Bring these kids home. And I'll tell you what, they didn't tell us what to do beyond bringing them home. It's like we got home and we're just kind of staring. What do we do now? And, uh, and, but I was consumed. I would look. I would hold that baby. I would, you know, make sure the baby's doing good. Then we'd put the baby in the crib. My wife would be like, where are you at? I'm just making sure she's breathing. I was consumed, right? I would go in there and I would stare. And I'd be like, I just can't believe that we have another human in our house. They were consumed. That's what happens. You go out to eat, you're consumed with that baby. You see a grandparent, put a grandparent around the baby. Oh, man, they are consumed. They're like, wow. That's what God wants us to be about him. He wants us to be, Wow. I'm consumed with him, with who he is, his goodness, his graciousness, his love, his mercy, his holiness, everything about who he is. And when we come before him, he is the ultimate. Do not forget who he is and what he has done. Do not forget who he is. This is the last point in your notes. Do not forget who he is and what he has done. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Wow. There's benefits to God. He says, do not forget them. 
And this is what we have to do when we're making his name ultimate. We keep coming back and we say, God, you are ultimate. You are number one in my life. And so, God, I'm, I'm coming to you. And look what he does. Psalm 103, verses, verse 3. Forget not his benefits who forgives all of your iniquities or your sin, who heals all of your diseases. Um, at the time of the writing, it was very common, as I said earlier, that the nation of Israel would go through good times and they would walk away from God then he would allow diseases and famines and sickness and all these things to come upon them to bring them back to God. And when he did, look what he says, he heals all of your diseases. And today, our greatest disease is healed in Christ. We have a disease that we have to deal with that is greater than cancer even, and that disease is our sin. Our sin has separated us from God Almighty. And when Jesus came to the cross, he died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He came back to life again that you may have eternal life. And he offers you that free gift if you will just transfer your trust unto him. Stop trusting these other things. Stop putting other things in the ultimate place. Come to him and trust him that he died on the cross. And what's it that say? He heals that disease. I'm thankful that I've been healed of that disease, aren't you? God has cured us. The greatest infection today is sin, and it has a cure, Jesus Christ, uh, who redeems your life from destruction, from the pit. He's taken my life from the pit. I'm so thankful that God has raised me up from the pit of life, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. His loving kindness towards you and tender mercies. The psalmist wrote this after they were in exile, after they had a whole lot of hard times and they're coming back. And he says, who crowns us with his loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now think about that. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. You, you say, well, what does that mean to me? Just think about this. You've been given eternal life. Your youth has been renewed. You will live forever and ever in heaven. And just about the time you think you're getting old, you've got thousands of years to go. You're going to be on earth here maybe 100 years, but we have forever and ever with him in heaven. Our youth is renewed. We're like little children. We're going to be with him for thousands and thousands of years. Exalt his name. Colossians 2.14 says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Don't forget who he is and what he has done. So as we close, I'd like to ask you, what would your life look like if every day you prayed, hallowed be your name? If you really made Jesus the ultimate, if you really put God as the ultimate, the number one in your life, where would your life be different? Would you start to see the purpose of life? As we look, our Father on one hand, in heaven. Our Father, we have this intimate relationship. In heaven, he's all-powerful. Hallowed be your name. He's asking us to come and exalt him. That is the foundation for the Lord's Prayer. That is foundation for what Jesus is teaching us. Let's go. Let's do this in the secret place, and let's meet with God and put him to that ultimate place of honor. Let's bow in prayer. As we close our service today, I'd like to just ask you to respond to God. What an awesome God we have. He is so full of mercy, full of grace. He is eternal. He is consistent. He is the Father you've always wanted. 
hallow his name right now. I'd like to ask you in the service this morning, if you have not yet received the Lord Jesus, you've not yet settled the sin issue, you haven't been healed of that disease of sin yet, I'd like to ask you to open your heart to God. And you can do that just real quietly in your seat. Just come before the Lord and, and just in the quietness of this moment, just quietly, inwardly in your spirit to the Lord, just pray to him. Say, dear Father in heaven, right now I make you the ultimate in my life. I'm a sinner. I deserve to be separated from you forever. But you died on the cross. And you paid for my sin. And you came back to life again that I might have eternal life. God, I trust you right now. And I invite you into my life. God, I want to make you the ultimate in my life. And for others in this room this morning, if you've been here for any length of time, you have to reset. We have to keep resetting. It's so easy to get so distraught over the things of this world, so easy to get distraught over our wants, our dreams, our, all over me. And God says to reset onto Him. What would your life look like? What steps will you take? Meet with God. Respond to Him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are the great God of the universe. Thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your justice. I thank you how that you love me. You love everyone in this room with an unconditional love. There's no strings attached to your love. You went to the cross. You proved your love. You paid for our sin. I thank you that you're the ultimate father. I thank you for who you are this morning. And God, will you be adored in our church? Will you be adored in the life of our people? May we be a people who hallow your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So we stand and sing our closing song. I'd like to invite you to feel free to come and kneel and pray if you would like to do that. Either way, as we sing and worship the Lord, would you respond to the greatness of our God? Sister. Yeah.